This fall at Kenilworth Union, Joe and Katie and I are talking about responsible Christian stewardship of all of the good gifts God has granted to us for those 80 or so years we hope to occupy on this earth. God has given us many good things, and our stewardship uh, represents our own gratitude to God for these good gifts God has given us. And today we're talking about the stewardship of our technology. And the passage I've chosen for us to look at is from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 55. I'll explain in a moment why this passage came to my mind when I thought about these things. Yo, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you that have no money, come and buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for that which is not bread and labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. Satisfy yourself with rich food. Incline your ear to me. Listen so that you may live. Seek the Lord while God may be found. Call upon the Lord while God is near. These days we use the word technology in two distinct but overlapping ways. In the older, broader sense, technology refers to anything human beings invent to make their lives easier. And in the newer, narrower sense, we use the word technology to refer specifically to our devices and to social media. And so I want to talk about both senses of the word today. First, the older, broader sense of the word technology. Human technology is, in fact, a rather crafty collaboration between, between divine generosity and human ingenuity. Almost all technology is God's gift to the human race. Without it, we die, quite literally, at the age of 30 for most of the human beings who have ever lived on the planet until about 200 years ago. A book is technology. The wheel is technology. A plow, a hammer, a nail, and a fork are technology. Fire is not technology, but a fireplace is. So is a campfire and your sub-zero gas range. A Civil War soldier hit anywhere on his body by enemy fire more than superficially faced one of two dreadful outcomes, amputation or death because of infection. And so penicillin is one of the greatest life-saving technologies in the history of the human race. Likewise, the vaccines for smallpox and polio and measles. If you have had a preemie baby, you love technology. If you wear glasses, you love technology. People used to die quite routinely of appendicitis. Do you remember that old film, Castaway? Among the vivid adventures the Tom Hanks character suffers while he's marooned on a deserted aisle, I think the most harrowing might be his toothache, right? Maybe this is because I'm married to a dental hygienist, but if you've ever had an abscessed tooth, you know that it is excruciating. And so on this desert island, the Tom Hanks character is so desperate, he resorts to performing self-dental surgery with the only technology available to him, the blade of an ice skate. Most human technologies are gifts from God. Do you know where the word comes from, the word technology? It comes from the Greek New Testament word tekton. 
Tecton is an artisan or a craftsman. In the Gospels, Joseph is a tecton, and so is his apprentice son, Jesus, an artisan. In English, we call him a carpenter, but actually, Joseph and Jesus are technicians. They're craftspersons. A book is technology, and so is a bookcase. Most human technology is a gift from God, but in the very near future, we're going to have some tough decisions to make about whether our new technologies remain gifts from God, right? You want a designer baby? You can have one. We'll be able to decide the characteristics of our children. You want a Scandinavian baby with blue eyes? You can have one. You want an ebony baby with African features? You can have one. You want to have somebody who will grow up to be tall and muscular or have an IQ of 150 or an hourglass figure. You want an extroverted baby who will grow up to be social magic? You can have anything you want. You can pick from the menu. We will be able to eliminate Down syndrome and autism and dwarfism. Should we? Someone said that the only difference between science and science fiction is timing. Yes? Today's science fiction is tomorrow's science. And so many of us are walking around these days with artificial hips or knees. Pretty soon, many of us will be walking around with bionic eyes and limbs and hearts. Many of the people around us will be $6 million men and women. Oscar Pistorius is already among us. There will be cyborgs among us, like Seven of Nine from Star Trek. The only difference between science and science fiction is timing. And so at what point does a bionic, bionic woman stop being a human and start being a machine? Does it matter? Philosophies and philosophers and scientists are beginning to talk about the transhuman. That is to say, what comes after us? So Homo sapiens is trans-Neanderthal. What is trans-Homo sapiens? A cybernetic being? Probably. Someday we might be able to create machines that are smarter than we are. The Terminator films might not be the most sophisticated in cinematic history, but they may be the most prescient. Google recently created a quantum computer that harnesses the eccentric behavior of tiny particles to encode vast amounts of information. This quantum computer takes three minutes to figure out a problem that it would take a classical computer 10,000 years to figure out. Now, IBM, Google's competition, disagrees with this. IBM says it would take the classical computer only two and a half days to figure out that three-minute problem. But you see my point. We are already creating machines that are so intelligent we can barely keep up with them. Almost all human technology is God's gift, but humanity will have to make some thoughtful decisions in the coming years for these new technologies that are racing from the future straight at us, and the Christian church will be an important referee arbitrating these provocative controversies.
So now let's narrow our focus to talk about tech in the narrower, newer sense of the word. Devices and social media. This new technology is changing everything, right? It's changing the way we communicate, the way we learn, the way we make friends and lovers, even the way we think. Social media is changing human consciousness. And so that YouTube is shortening our attention spans. And Google is shrinking our memory capacities. We used to memorize square roots in state capitals. Now, if you want to know the square root of 144 or the state capital of North Dakota, you just look it up. I bet a lot of you guys don't even know your wife's phone number, right? You punched in once five years ago and never again. One sociologist speaks of the current generation as the I generation. This is the generation that follows the millennials, the I generation for selfies and for iPhones. So the millennial, the last millennials were born in about 1996, and so the first I generation kids were born in about 1996. At that time, 95% of Americans did not own cell phones. Now it's exactly reverse. 95% of us have cell phones. This technology is a gift from God. It's exponentially expanded our knowledge and our imagination and our commerce and our universe of human connection. You can reconnect with that best friend you haven't connected with since the third grade or that other best friend that moved to Dubai. It's expanded our aggregate even of global laughter, right? The stand-up comics on Netflix and YouTube are way funnier than my real friends. Not all of this connection is good. 30% of Tinder users are married. But Steve Jobs created the iPhone and Mark Zuckerberg created Facebook to reduce the distance between us, to shrink the globe, to expand our access to information and entertainment. And there are many great things about it. Our children in the I generation are safer than the millennials were, the generation before. They drink less alcohol. They have fewer auto accidents. They have fewer dates, less sex, fewer teen pregnancies because they never go out. They meet their friends virtually rather than face-to-face. They're physically safer but psychologically more vulnerable right? That's because social media is an unwinnable psychic arms race. We are always comparing our unavoidable, real, shabby, average selves to the false, shiny, exciting, perfect public image of our friends on Instagram. You don't know my unshaven, slovenly, Saturday sermon writing self. (laughs) You don't know because you never visit my house on Saturday. All you know of me is what I post on Instagram. So you might think I spend all of my time at cool places like St. Andrew's Cathedral. I, on the other hand, am intimately acquainted with my slovenly Saturday sermon writing self. And all I know about you is those Instagrams you post from Kilimanjaro. And so we're always feeling left out. Instagram is a breeding ground for inferiority complexes. 
Now get this, among teens, daily screen time and depression are directly proportional. Daily screen time and suicide rates are directly proportional. Daily screen time and happiness are inversely proportional. Daily screen time and family conversation are inversely proportional. proportional. That is to say, as screen time goes up, depression and suicide rates go along with it. As daily screen time goes up, happiness and family conversation go in the opposite direction. Even Steve Jobs limited the iPhone time for his children. I know this has never happened to you, but I happen to have been at family dinner tables or business meetings where someone was texting or shopping. I know it's shocking, but it happens. (laughs) One Sunday afternoon, I checked my email and noticed I had an email from one of my board members. He was complaining about a typo in the church bulletin from that morning. And I noticed that the time signature was 10.40 a.m. From that, He was in the building. He was sitting in the back pew pretending to listen to my sermon. Don't do that, okay? <laughs> our devices and our social media stop being gifts when we use them not to connect with flesh and blood human beings, but to escape those folks. MIT professor Sherry Turkle says, we expect more from our technology and less from each other. We use our network connectedness to escape from each other. We would rather text than talk, she says. And so when you are texting or shopping during a business meeting or at the family dinner table, you are telling the people you are with that you would rather be somewhere else or at least in two places at once. That what's happening physically around you is not nearly interesting enough to capture your undivided attention. You are bored. We're using technology, some of us, to escape from the people God gave us to companion. And so we know these devices are addictions, right? Literally, addictions. Depending on whom you consult, the average American looks at his cell phone 50 to 80 times a day, or about once every 12 to 18 minutes. And we do this because we're bored. We do this because we're lonely. We do this because our phones give us a dopamine hit, right? Our phones light up the same pleasure centers in our brains that are lit up by alcohol or tobacco or jewel. And we know better than this. We know better. Isaiah asks this plaintive question. Why do you spend money for that which is not bread? Why do you work so hard for that which does not satisfy? Why are you trying to fill your emptiness with something that will never serve that purpose? Seek the Lord while God may be found. Call upon God while God is near. Seek your neighbor while she is near. Find your lover while she may be found. Because after all, does a like on Facebook come anywhere near 
what you feel when your child or your partner reaches for your hand? 